It may be invisible to some or ever present to others, but trauma entangles us all. Welcome to Traumatize, brought to you by Network for Victim Recovery of DC. Traumatize is a podcast that creates space and conversations to untangle the societal knots that keep us from addressing trauma after crime. For you, we want this podcast to be an experience, one where you leave understanding how you can be a crossing point to minimize the deeply painful and costly consequences of trauma, no matter who you are. Welcome back to Traumatize, where we believe trauma is a common thread of the human connection. I'm Bridget Stump, and I'm here, as always, with my co-host, Lindsay Silverberg. Hey, everybody. It's been an amazing season, too. We have spent this entire season talking about the unsung heroes that are offering trauma support to folks in often unseen or unexpected ways. And we've been incredibly lucky to have such engaging guests that are really giants in their respective fields. I know for me personally, getting to talk to Jen Hamilton about the work that she's doing as an OB nurse was just like an incredible intersection of all of the things I love. And we'll talk later, but talking to Eduardo, who is a chief of staff for Representative Escobar, was incredibly moving, just the impact that his work has, both on like the constituents that they serve and the staff that he works with. I was very excited this season to be able to talk to Dr. Erin Kirkpatrick, who's a veterinarian, about the ways in which she really caretakes not only for the animals that her and her staff care for, but for the people that love them. And got to talk to two incredible journalists, Alex Hannaford and Jeremy Young, about the ways in which they are impacted and journalists are impacted about storytelling and how important that piece is, but how hard that journey can be for them. And if you'll remember, we got to talk to Janet McGee, who's an advocate and a professor of mortuary sciences, uh, about her journey into that work and how tragedy really intersected with her life while she was doing this work and how that's propelled her to make sure that people who are grieving the loss of a loved one are well taken care of when they do have to intersect with mortuary sciences. And then we rounded out our season uh, talking to Christy Molnar, who's a nutritionist and health advocate, about the ways in which trauma can really have an impact on someone's understanding and interaction with food. So hopefully you've been along on the journey with us for this whole time. It's been a really incredible season, and we're so thankful for you, the listener, and especially for our guests and just letting us into a little bit of their world and the impact that we were able to see that they're having on folks who are impacted by trauma. Yeah, Lindsay, I feel like we just jumped into the, um, is it the DeLorean? What's the cool pop reference of going? <laughs> it is. I, don't, I don't think it's cool anymore, but um, <laughs> that is a, a an elder millennial pop reference you just used. <laughs> Uh, You really kind of took me back to some of these amazing conversations that we were having with folks in my own aha moments. It's so interesting. You would think the amount of time that you and I spend thinking, reading, talking about these issues, that there would be little to learn. And what I understand when we bring other folks into the conversation is just how much there is still to take in to really add to not only our own understanding, but how we're connecting the dots for all the folks that we're hoping to bring the shared language 
too, around how trauma really impacts us in our lives. As we're reflecting on all the folks that came and joined us on season two, Lindsay, I really want you to think a little bit about some of the themes or maybe the overarching points that really um, hit home for you or impactful in how you experienced the season. Yeah, I keep, as I was preparing for this episode, I kept thinking about the quote from Mr. Rogers about, you know, in times of great need, like look for the helpers. And I feel like that's what we were able to highlight this season. And for me, it was such a beautiful reminder of the all of the spaces and places that there are these like incredible helpers who are intersecting with people in their hardest moments where like you might not expect to to sort of have to have those hard moments in these places. And, and you know, some maybe more so than others, like mortuary sciences, obviously like grief is always going to be challenging. But I wasn't thinking about the ways in which like food and nutrition can really not only be a cue or a trigger for individuals, but also just like the amount of shame and blame that there is associated and and the way in which trauma can really show up in those spaces. So I think for me, the the compassion and empathy towards others generally um, and what we know about <laughs> trauma and the way it impacts everyone and the way that vicarious trauma impacts the helpers. I think for me, it was such a good highlight of both how beautiful and how heartbreaking and hard those spaces can be for helpers to be in. And so I'm just really thankful that we got to look at it from a a lot of different perspectives and a lot of different fields. And it does make me think about the power of being curious, right? The one episode, um, one of the ways that we actually kind of got into wanting to highlight this this season, Bridget, was really around a conversation you and I had that I shared in the episode with Dr. Kirkpatrick about my dog at the time getting acupuncture and the veterinarian and I just talking about how challenging that her role is in terms of taking care of the people and the animals and like trying to hold space for it. And so it's been this like really great opportunity for us to like bring all of those places together. But I'm curious, Bridget, for you, what stands out to you from these discussions? Yeah, a couple of things. One is just how relevant the various conversations were in my everyday life. For example, you're just talking about the Mr. Rogers quote. And I was we have neighbors that are just really fabulous parents and people. And gosh, like a couple of years ago, maybe during the hustle and bustle of like dealing with childcare and the pandemic, I can't quite remember, but I remember our neighbor telling me that like they teach their kids to look for the helpers and it's just really stuck with me. And it's something like I talk to my kids about, like, we know how to be helpers. We know how to look for the helpers. And so I had never quite connected that value that I'm trying to instill in my kids with like how important it is in the conversations that we were having with these folks. And even just last night, my friend Jamie, we were kind of having a family dinner and she unfortunately had to put down a pet she's had, gosh, since I was like a young person, (laughs) which feels like a long time ago when we used to be able to sort of like spend a lot more time together. And she was talking about the process and how he had been really sick and it was really aggressive and quick and just like the compassion. And when I mentioned to her, we had talked to Aaron and I actually shared how Aaron donates to 
per university when they've lost a pet that they've been caring for and just the humanity of how you honor the significance of that loss. And it was really beautiful to share that with her and see her kind of make meaning out of her interactions with the vet that was supporting her through the process when they had to put Gus down. And so it was just kind of this like really organic way to bring some of what I've learned into these conversations. And, you know, I would just say thematically, as I'm thinking about the opportunity for connection that I've had in the season in my own life, one of the overarching themes that I really felt in conversations, particularly the ones with Jen and Aaron and Christy, and some of those folks that are kind of in that medicine or medicine adjacent space even, is really them sharing how much trauma education is needed in these places and how kind of far we still have to go to really catch up with having shared language and understanding. And I really think this speaks volumes to how the education piece that you and I talk about all the time. We talk about it in our profession, working with survivors of trauma, with lawyers, working on all sorts of fields. And I've really wanted to push education requirements in some of these public agencies that are interacting with the public, knowing the rates of trauma that the public is exposed to. But I really think the education piece is just as important in our everyday language, not just as professionals. And so that's kind of been a, I guess, a theme for me is thinking through how do we continue to bring into the people that we intersect with in our daily lives, just the value and the beauty of being able to connect around this common understanding of what trauma is and and how much it really impacts people's lives. Yeah, what I hear you saying is that it's a means of caretaking, right? Just for sort of humanity in general. And the place that that really stood out to me was our conversation with Eduardo when he was talking about the experience that their district had with a mass shooting. And I think what was so beautiful about the way that he explained it, and I don't know if we've posted a video, but I'm like, you and I are like sobbing through the (laughs) the entire conversation. Remembering it. Yeah. Yeah. It was this like incredible experience and example of caretaking for each other. Like the way that he talked about not only them taking care of their staff, having to deal with meeting with families who lost loved ones, the fact that he was like born and raised in that district, that his parents lived there. It's like those small moments to me. And you and I talk about this all the time around trust is like the way you build trust, the way you caretake. It's not these like huge, incredible superhero moments. It's all the little marbles as Brene Brown talks about putting them in the jar. And he was talking about the way in which another office stepped in for them to answer their phones, which is like just such a maybe seemingly small piece of the puzzle, ultimately, when you're dealing with grief and loss and violence. But it's like such a beautiful example of like the real ways in which people can show up for each other in these really challenging moments to take care and to show caretaking. It doesn't have to be these grand gestures. And so I think for me, knowing that entire reason that Representative Escobar was even in the district was to really showcase the impact that immigrants the showcase the like conditions that folks who are coming to the border were living in and and the sort of like trauma surrounding what life at the border is like and then to have this sort of mass violence event happen and everybody just sort of step into caretake for each other i think was just such a beautiful example of the ways in which um showing up for each other in these moments of trauma it doesn't have to be complicated it doesn't have to be all these like big 
gestures that make it scary, but it's just even asking. I mean, for me, I always believe that the best thing you can do when someone has experienced violence or trauma or having a hard time is showing up. Like, you don't have to have the right words. You don't have to do the right thing. Like, the most powerful thing you can do for somebody is be there and be with them. It's such a powerful act of validation, I think, for the helpers, right? Because we're conditioned to sort of know how to support the folks that are directly exposed to the harm. And I think when we can offer support to those who are in the space holding and really sort of bearing witness to that direct harm and and trying to be the responders in those moments, it really, to me, is a way of validating, like, we see the helpers, we see the impact this has on you, and there's a small piece that we can help kind of hold up in this process. So that's, yeah, I think that ties back nicely to this idea of caretaking and just, like, how much it really enhances, like, the human experience, right? But I've also been thinking a little bit, another theme for me, is something you and I have been talking about, Lindsay, which is really the power of meaning-making. This came up a lot for me when I was thinking about sort of the role of mortuary sciences. Did I get that correctly? Yeah, funeral service directors and like the work that they do and the ability they have to help people make meaning in moments of loss and grief. That was just like really powerful for me. And so I've been thinking more about this concept and really the ways that we use meaning-making as a coping strategy both as survivors of trauma and and folks that are exposed to vicarious trauma and kind of went down a little bit of a rabbit hole thinking about the connection of meaning-making and happiness. And I was just kind of digging around and found that in the 1990s, there was a lot of research being done around the psychology of happiness. And there was even an article that was published, and it was in like May 1996 by Diner and David Meyer. And they argued that happiness was spread evenly over the course of one's lifetime, but that they found there were these kind of specific factors or personal traits that they were associating with higher levels of happiness. Now, I don't think all of this has aged well when we think about like privilege and under-resourcing of communities, but one of those factors specifically was the feeling that one has control over their life. And the reason this hit so closely to me is I had been texting with a friend at the end of our last season. And I kind of talked about a concept he had shared with me in, I think, uh, episode eight of season one and what he had shared. And he's not someone that was like living in trauma spaces. So talking to him about this was kind of like revolutionary. And he was like, yeah, I hear what you're saying. Like trauma is you're born and you're kind of like ice block shape and that's who you are. It's your biology. It's how you come into this world. And then as you experience life, different events and experiences shape you into who you are. And those can be traumatic events that are kind of chiseled into you permanently. And I was reflecting on this. And so he just kind of texted me after he had listened to all of the podcast in that he said he had also gone down a little bit of a rabbit hole. And he said, you know, I've really been wondering why trauma is so affecting on people's lives. And he said, I think it's the loss of autonomy, exactly what the research around happiness was identifying. And he said, you know, whether it's intentional or even a cruel turn of fate, it's the idea that you don't get a choice about what happens to your own life. This really hits home even more today. But what he did is he suggested that I read a book, The Stranger. It's quite a throwback for folks that haven't read it or even watched the movie Ikiru. Um, It's a 
1952 Japanese film, it actually means to live in English. And it, it really kind of follows the struggles of this terminally ill Tokyo bureaucrat when he's on a quest to find meaning during life tragedy. And what's so interesting about this to me is we've been talking at NVRDC about this Japanese concept. It's referred to as um, ikigai. And it's the idea that all of the domains of your life overlap to give you a sense of meaning and purpose. And it's fascinating to me that what this friend was sharing with me is it's not just about the moments of loss and control, but it's about how in those moments do we search for meaning and purpose. And that to me goes exactly back to the theme this this particular season, which was there are people all around us who have made it their life's work to help us find meaning and purpose out of the hardest thing that's ever happened to us. And so I just wanted to sort of share with you how I, again, kind of been thinking about this personally in my life and how it's kind of shown up in these conversations and really, really feeling uh, not to channel back to gratitude because we talk a lot about the practice of gratitude, but I'm feeling grateful that this friend took the time to share this with me. I, I happen to be stuck in the Logan Airport during this text exchange. Shout out to all the people in Boston that have to deal with the Logan Airport and to my HBS Spinum uh, Pod 45. But I'm really grateful he shared this. And I think for me, it's been kind of a closure, a full circle as we ended last season talking about this ice block and how trauma shapes us and forms us. And the way I've come to think about it to add to his analogy is the helpers are the people with the torch that are really rounding some of those rough edges that trauma creates in our ice block throughout our life. They help kind of soothe and smooth so that we can continue to move through the world. Again, changed, but not necessarily in a bad way. Sometimes it's changed because we've been able to find new meaning and purpose. And a lot of that is due to the helpers that surround us. Yeah. We are just so absolutely grateful for those of you who've joined us for season two of Traumatize. And as we always say, and as you listen to season two, please be sure to subscribe and rate and review the Traumatize podcast wherever you listen. But I think, Bridget, the as we close out this season, spoiler alert, we'll be back. And talk to us a little bit about sort of what we've been noodling on um, for season three. Yeah, I think... Lindsay, you and I always have ideas of like, ooh, let's dive into this concept. I'd love to talk about this, but certainly this is a passion project for us. But we also want to make sure that our listeners, you know, the audience, you're really the reason we do this. And we would love to know your thoughts on how we can further expand awareness about trauma-informed care, vicarious trauma, the impacts, uh, the power of resiliency as we think about surviving trauma. And we would love to invite you to share your ideas or give us suggestions on what you want to hear more about. It can be a concept. It can be a sector really only limited by your imagination. But you can reach out by tagging us at MVRDC on Instagram or even email us at podcast at nvrdc.org. And feel free to just share with us your thoughts and what you want to hear more about. But as Lindsay said, We can't thank you enough for being on this journey with us. And we hope you will join us for season three of More Untangling. This episode of Traumatize is over, but this podcast is just one of our many resources. NVRDC welcomes all survivors of crime and their supporters. So please visit us at nvrdc.org to learn more about how to access our trauma education and how to partner with us to create survivor-defined justice.